Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're interviewing Connor McGoey from Inside Up Games, a Canadian board game design and publication company with a solid track record of successful Kickstarter campaigns. Their eighth campaign, Block and Key, is currently live on Kickstarter is well past its funding goal with still nine days to go. Connor, welcome to the bench. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'll redo that intro for the video. So no, I don't uh, want you to. I wanted to interrupt you so bad. Oh, I know. My character. <laughs> so uh Man, thanks for coming on the binge. A fellow Canuck. I always love having fellow Canadians. I always perk up when I get another Canadian on the uh, on the show. So uh, thanks for joining us. I really do appreciate it. So let's get into uh, your story of how you got into this industry. So you've done eight can. This is your eighth campaign now. That's correct. Uh, so how did how did this all begin, man? Like oh, how did God. you get into this uh, industry? Well, you said it's only half an hour, right? It's got to be bite sized. So yeah, bite sized. We'll get through the it. version. <laughs> So the, the very fast version of it is that I grew up without a TV. Um, so I played a lot of board games. I have three siblings, a sister and two brothers. So we played a lot of games growing up. Had a great board game closet of games uh, that my parents gave away or got rid of when we grew, outgrew them, which is infuriating. Um, got into video games like everybody else uh, as a teenager and I was older. And then uh, when I start, met my wife and we started deciding to have a family, uh, we got kind of back into board games probably in my early 20s maybe. Um, just because it was a nice way of kind of hanging out around a table with some friends. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I've always kind of just been growing that the board game collection. And then uh, at the time, I was working uh, running a construction company. But I ended up getting sick with an internal blood leak that they couldn't Eesh. find. Yeah. So uh, I, I got sicker and sicker while they were looking for it. Eventually, I was pulled from the job site and I was in the hospital for a while. And uh, with a downtime, I uh, couldn't turn my brain off from work mode, but I couldn't do anything about work. So I basically started playing around with board games, ideas in my brain, um, just fun stuff, stuff I wanted to try, different ideas I wanted to mess with. So uh, I took that idea, jotted it down, made a really rough prototype, which is actually, could I reach it? It's still behind me on my shelf, done on the original President's Choice pizza box, <laughs> is the, the game board. You can't even see because the pencil lines are so light. Oh, for what awesome. would be Summit, my first so board game. I'll describe to our listeners who aren't in Canada, President's Choice is a uh, is a private label uh, brand uh, and uh, of our local grocery store, or one of the top grocery stores in Canada, actually. And so he just showed me a pizza box, I guess, essentially. Right? Pizza <laughs> That's box. right. When we drew stuff on. It's crazy. The number of times I hear people tell stories like that. That was one of the first games I ever created mm-hmm. uh, was when I was in a factory. So when I was uh, going through for school in the summer times, you know, I worked in a factory to, you know, make some income and help pay my, uh, my bills and buy my books and so forth. And the amount of brain time that I dedicated just, you know, while I'm making my widgets, yeah. you know, I'm off in another land designing virtually in my brain, you know, kind of a game and laying it out and so forth. So I can uh, totally relate did you have like a gateway game or is there a game that you had that got you kind of gave you the bug? I, I don't think so really um, because they would have been when I was younger. So I didn't really notice them at the time for them being amazing. Yeah. I, if, if I could credit one game for being like the, I, I absolutely love this game as a kid, it would have been hero quest. Okay. Uh, I played it with my younger brother and we played it like crazy all the time. And I just loved you know being immersed in that game. Um, 
And then we got a lot of like a lot of the regular games we grew up with. We had like with the monopolies and the stories and all that stuff in the yeah. kids collection. But we also got like some randoms and I don't even know who would have got them for us. Like I don't remember any of it, but we had some other fun games, kids games like uh, Quicksand and 13 Dead and Drive. Okay. And just like these ones that are just a, like, just a little bit off from like the, that main well-known, you know, well-known group. And then we got into the Risks uh, and stuff like that. I mean, and Chess and all the other, the usual ones, uh, Stratego, those guys. Um, so there wasn't really a gateway game. To give credit to getting me kind of back into the hobby, though, was when I was working in Winnipeg where I met my wife. I was working in film uh, production at the time and uh, one of the guys on set had me over at his house for drinks or my wife and I and him and his uh, lady and we played Blockus uh, and that was kind of the one that was like oh yeah I haven't like enjoyed like uh, that kind of style like I've been playing video games for so long and I'm like I haven't really turned that part of my brain on like in in a bit and I like abstract games which actually plays in well to I absolutely love Blockus, especially because of right? my father, who's like a chess master that I've never beat my dad in chess, but I beat him in Blockus and it kills him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's, and we still play it. Like it, we played with the kids just recently. It's yeah. such, Blockus is such a good game. So that's probably like my new gateway game. And then right after that, we went to a board game store in Winnipeg um, and we picked up two games off of the owner's recommendation. I grabbed Betrayal at House on the Hill and my wife grabbed Kingsburg. Um, so those were kind of the next games that we kind of got into and then started going down that you know trail of games. I thought for sure you're going to say Catan. No. Say, How dare you? <laughs> no. So I'm going to, I'm going to anger some of my fans, but I, I never got into Catan. And then maybe a couple of years ago, my wife finally got it for me for Christmas. Cause she's like, everybody asks, we have to have at least have played this game. Yeah. <laughs> we played it like twice and we were both like, yeah, we're good. So we gave it to a friend. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, it's a great game for a lot of people. They love it. It just wasn't the type of game my wife and I wanted to play. So in our household, I think is we just played it too. We got Catan out. We we played it too much to the point where people were taking it too seriously. Oh, and uh, yeah. And then it's like, okay, Catan's now banned from our house. That monopoly <laughs> now banned from our house completely. <laughs> so this pizza box game you got behind in the show. So what did that end up turning into? Which of your games so that, did that turn that into? That turned into Summit. That was the very first well, one. Summit. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. So that turned into this big box. So the funny part is if you take the finished board out and you line it up, it's the size of a President's Choice pizza box. <laughs> The, the side, I mean, the proportions are off, but the height is the exact same. I swear we're not sponsored yeah. by President's Choice here, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Click the link below. Galen Weston gives us a call. <laughs> thanks, for the, thanks for the post, guys. Um, so you, you've launched, okay, so there was Summit, there was Vault Assault, Goris Maximus, Summit yep. Expansion, Seven Souls, The Quick and the Undead, yep. City Builder. So that's, right. that, that's a lot of games. Is, and there's two expansions, I believe, in there as well on, on one of those games. I think on Summit, wasn't awesome. it? There's Summit yep. Teams and Summit... Yeti. Yeti. So what was the time frame between those? Those how, how quickly did you crank out those those seven so, games? So so Summit got to the point where uh I was getting better. I had been, you know, fixed internally and uh they found the blood leak, they, they, they took it out. And then my wife's and then I was running a construction company full time. we had three little kids. Yeah, yeah, we had three little kids at the time, like little little kids. Yeah, uh, and then I was doing game stuff in the evenings, and my wife's like, "Okay, I love you, but you got to make a choice, buddy. You can't just keep doing this." So my brother-in-law actually had come over one day, and he had tested it with me, and he's like, "Ask, you know, what are you going to do with it?" And I had brought in a, a graphic designer buddy who did the art and the graphic design for me and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, "I don't know." He's like, "Well, have you thought of kickstarting it?" So I had, I had not heard of Kickstarter, but three months before I used it for the first time. No, that's not true. Maybe six months before I used it for the first time. Sure. And uh, so I went on it. And the first campaign he showed me was Stegmeier's Scythe, of course. 
And I was like, no, I'm not ready for Kickstarter. My game is nothing like this game, not knowing that that was like the be all and all of games at the time. Um, But I fell into that one, backed it, and then got into all of his Kickstarter lessons, read them all probably at least twice, his crowdfunding book, chatted with him multiple times, did that whole thing. And just like dug in hard. Oh, he's an absolute sweetheart. I love him. Um, So got into that while developing Summit and going through the Kickstarter process. I developed the first expansion for it as well. Um, So that came out the same year. Then Vault Assault was this sorry summit came out in 2016 or 17 then vault assault right behind it then teams right behind that then i think i okay, got gorus maximus the year after and then i did three in a year which i wouldn't recommend three is probably too that's many a lot. yeah kickstarter campaign especially for a one-man show like that's a that's a lot of stuff but i was i mean i was full-time working for myself at the time yeah um but yeah i probably wouldn't recommend that uh, so that was that. So it's basically been eight campaigns in about five years, but actually 10 wow. games because one camp, one game, two games I didn't kickstart. Is that right? I don't yeah, I think there's two on your page, but I mean, that that have to be a full time job. There's no way yeah, to do that on the side. Yeti and Sea Change. So Sea Change is a family friendly version of Gorus Maximus. So <laughs> that went straight to retail because retailers were the ones asking for it. Anyways, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that many games in that short. So what, what's been your approach to create? Has it been just these ideas you've had in your head kind of yeah. banked that you're just kind of cranking them out one by one? Or has it been while you've been developing one game, you get an idea for another? Or has it been more along the lines of there's this the type I want to have a variety of, of uh, gameplay types. So you're coming out well, from different angles. Like how have you approached well, with, with Summit, it was straightforward because it was like one game one focus i put a ton of energy ton of time all that stuff into it and then uh the expansions kind of just evolved naturally so they were kind of easier yeah Uh, because once you once you've built the world it's easy to play in the sandbox right so that was easy and then i was like oh i'm I'm enjoying i really enjoy this but i'm working on a big another bigger game but i need time so i got vault assault which is easier so it was more of like i need a small fast game small price point like just quick to get out there so I'm not forgot because the industry is so busy. Um, and then basically as that continues, I have, I uh, just, you know, a, a book beside my bed because that's when I get most of my good ideas. And I just write down these ideas, I'll, you know, I either be reading and I can't fall back asleep or I'll come to bed too late or whatever it is. And I'll just get up and be like, oh, this sounds really cool. And I, and I just write out and there's tons and tons of ideas in there. And then every once in a while, I'll feel like, yes, I have like, this is the way I want to go with this game. And I'll either develop it right till it's done or I'll develop for a bit, lose interest get you know hot on something else jump on that one for a bit develop it for a little bit um and then it just ended up getting so crazy and so busy um that people started to think inside of games is maybe a larger company than it is so that i was getting game pitches as well um which was interesting and i was just refusing them for a while until yeah. uh, my business partner was a longtime buddy and helped out financially uh he's basically like well connor it might take some pressure off your plate if you're not just forced to be the only one designing games all the time so we opened up to game submissions and I was getting mm. tons and tons and tons. Uh, and so far of, I mean, literally hundreds of them. I've only picked three so far and block and keys actually the, no, that's not true. I picked up four now because block and keys the third, the fourth is planned for later this year. And what kind of criteria did you go through to pick, pick these games is, is yeah, hundreds is, of submissions. How do you go about saying, okay, I mean, that's a lot of games to play for once. So you're going to have to invest a lot of time just to play these. Well, sorry. Of, no, no, of 300 games, I would say I've tested less than uh, maybe 10, maybe 10 to 20% of them. So you read maybe. the pitch sheet and if it sounds That's interesting, right. then you're okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, and it's basically, it's, it, there's probably, I'm probably a crappy businessman because if I was better, I would have money reasons for picking which games, <laughs> but it honestly comes down to gut and my own personal interest. Yeah. Is this, would I pick this game off the shelf? Do I want to play this game? If the answers are no, then I will just pass your. And like, I would for sure have failed. Like, I wouldn't have published the game because I would have been like, "That's not a game. What like, you you have numbered cards one to ninety nine. This there's not a game here." And then I'm like, "Well, wow, did I miss the boat on that one?" And there's a there's a bunch of very well known games that have done quite well yeah. that I would have passed on just because I don't I didn't I don't see what someone else saw in them. So let's talk about what you did see. Let's talk about block and key. I'm going to share my screen here for the people that are watching us live. If you're listening to the podcast, swing on over to boardgamebinge.com. You can see the replay of this interview and uh, you can catch all the visuals we have as well as catch our entire back catalog of interviews. So here we are, block and key. This is your Kickstarter page, $81,000 on a goal of 32,000. Congratulations, that's amazing. Uh, especially with nine days to go still. So if I think people have heard enough of these interviews now to know there's this kind of reverse bell curve, right? So you have a lot of pledges in the first two, three days. Then you get a lot of pledges in kind of last uh, the last two days. So this number will swing up, no doubt, uh, going into the end. It's just a matter of how big it's going to go now. Talk to us about Block and Key. What is this game about? And why did you fall so, kind of in love with this? So Block and Key is crazy. So again, I'll try to give it the, because I talk too much. The fast version of the story is the amazing uh, designer, David Van Drunen, um, actually approached me at a convention in early 2019 in Toronto at Breakout. Uh, and he pitched me a game that I uh, took back and I tested with my testers and it didn't go over well. So I, I, I explained it to him and I sent him back the prototype and I thought nothing more of it. Um, and then at Origins, also 2019, so a couple months later, three months later, maybe, uh, David came over to my booth to, to our stand at Origins and he pitched me block and key uh, and it's in his prototype uh, form, which was, you know, 3D printed blocks. And as he set it up, uh, which for those of you who I'll, I'll actually describe for people who aren't watching, but it the game uses the actual game box itself. So you yeah, use the cool. box bottom flipped over and use the box top. Uh, and there are support columns that are quite strong, which you can see one of the updates. I put a 15 pound weight on top to prove to these backers oh, wow. that, it, that these cardboard structures can hold the weight. Um, but it creates a 3D structure. So like a two tiered game board. Um, think of like a, a Star, Star Trek 3D chess um, with just the, the layers for people to visualize. And you'll be drawing cards and drafting cube or blocks from the bottom and then playing the blocks into the top space. So uh, as you can imagine, at the time, he had created a system where uh, these legs or supports would fold out from the box top, slide over the box bottom, stand on the table, and you'd play it on this table surface because the game is yeah. all about your perspective. Uh, he set it up. He explained the rules probably in about a minute. And in the first 30 seconds of playing, I was like, I love this game. I'm, I'm going to sign this game for sure because for an it, it is the perfect abstract itch. Like it, you, It's so simple, so easy to explain. But then once you start playing, your brain just starts chewing on it. How do I best place this block to set either my card up or even better, my cards up? Where can I place it? Because I'm playing uh, uh, polyomino, like a Tetris 3D piece into a 3D space that's shared by all players. But I'm only able to claim my key cards from my 2D perspective. So I'm all only worried about what I see flattened down 
Yeah. And of course, there's a whole bunch of block placement rules uh, that I'm not going to go into right now. Uh, but they are also laid out graphic design on the board. So all the game rules, all the placement rules, the end game scoring, we've all converted it into iconography on the box. So it kind of fits into the theme of this ancient kind of ruins. So um, right away, I saw the appeal to myself and I was like, yeah, this game's going to do good. Uh, and then it's taken uh, almost two years of sourcing and costing and prototyping and going through like every single different option to get the best in construction and the best in quality to kind of get the game to where it is now. I've, I honestly wanted to get it out in 2019 um, ahead of the curve because since then there's been an, a, quite a few 3D block games that have come out. Um, so I'm a little sad to be behind the curve on that one. But uh, uh, the game's phenomenal. I absolutely, I loved it from the first second you taught it to me and I still enjoy playing it. So a few things here. So one uh, one thing that um, I couldn't get my head around at first, when I first saw this game, it was, because you see the box it has a beautiful graphics on the front of uh, block and key. I'm like, well, how does that then turn into the board and so forth? And I realized watching one of your playthrough videos that it's actually sleeve that comes off the box, right? So the yeah. sleeve comes off with all the graphics. Then you've got the top and the bottom then have your artwork that, are the actual game board, right? So the, the lower game board, the topper game, uh, top game board. The second thing I thought was really cool was that, uh, yes, you're, you're building these Tetris shapes and patterns and so forth. And anybody just think of like a classic Tetris, but doing that with actual 3d blocks, but your view looking at, uh, from your perspective, that is, that is kind of your, your play board, which is going to be different than the person to the right of you. Cause what they're looking at is going to look completely different. The person across from you, when they're looking uh, at those same shapes, they're going to have a different kind of flat 2d image than what you're looking at. So everybody's got a different game that they're kind of playing. Yeah. And as you're trying to play a piece that, uh, that maybe helps you unlock a key person across you has no idea what you're trying to unlock because from their perspective it could be just kind of a random choice is that is that fair to say yeah and the thing that's really neat yeah. about it is that especially for anyone who knows inside of games is i really like player interaction yeah. uh, in, in my games and the thing about what's so neat about this one is because all of those key cards and your enigma which is end game bonus because they're all hidden information i can't be like oh i'm gonna screw james over on this one <laughs> you you don't have a way of really knowing so when I'm playing a piece, it might be helping me, but it also might be helping you because every piece that adds to the board creates more options for how these keys could be filled. So it's really neat in that like everybody's kind of helping each other. And although sure a block placement might hurt you in one way, it could easily help you with another card. So yeah. it's really neat because uh, one person asked, I think I gave me a Kickstarter campaign, you know, could you just try to wreck someone by, you know, wrecking their view? I said, you could try, but if I spend all my turns placing blocks in front of James, it's more likely that I'm going to help him unlock key cards without knowing than ever complete any of my own. So he's going to end up beating me for sure, right? Yeah. You can't just screw someone over in the game. So what ends up happening is everyone's just much more focused on their play. So what ends up, I mean, this is yeah. bad visual for everyone listening to the podcast. What ends up happening is you have people holding blocks just staring at the board and hard <laughs> and rotating and you know it's quiet it's, it's a great present so when i showed it at conventions leading up to this when they were allowed um it would, it would draw a crowd because you have this raised platform and you have like you know two three one two three or four intent people staring at this raise thing just messing with someone was like what is going on here and it's yeah. just it's great everyone i haven't i haven't played it with a single person who hasn't enjoyed it that's crazy and then um the the these pieces you have is are they made, did i hear they're like clay pieces or what are these yes yeah, that's right so uh through the whole process we went through all the obvious stuff we went yeah. through the you know the hollow plastics the solid plastics the wood um 
and then figuring out a way to actually make the line colors difference. Because again, this is sorry for everyone who's listening, but basically if you can imagine that I'm holding a two by two um, cube in my hand or a block yeah. in my hand. So I got two blocks above two blocks. Is that once a block is placed on the board, you're no longer really looking at the blocks shape. You're looking at the individual cubes that make it up. Yeah. So it sounds complicated, but it's not. But basically what's important is you need to be able to differentiate the cubes on the blocks. So that way, when I'm completing a key card, I can see, you know, two green cubes, an orange cube, and then a white cube. So I don't care if that comes from four different blocks or two different blocks. I couldn't because it's three colors, but whatever. You know what I mean? So you're only worried about seeing those difference. So the silly difficulty of creating a bordered color on the blocks themselves went through seven different manufacturers and seven different options about how we're going to get these grid layouts. Because these polyominoes are three dimensions, it's not as simple as just, oh, you can just, you know, color to, you know, paint two sides. You're yeah. painting six sides because there's the face and then the face further back and then the top and the bottom and the side, right side and the left side and the back top side and the back bottom. So you end up just having all these sides to paint. So it was just, we've gone through one after another after another. And my favorite thing all along were these clay samples that I got. And yeah. so I've been working with uh, my preferred manufacturer and we ended up figuring it out which is fantastic. And yeah, they are, so they're deluxe clay. And there's a video again on the Kickstarter where yeah. you see me go into my basement with the concrete floor and I drop the blocks from about four feet high to show that they're strong. And then I pick them up and I whip them at the concrete floor and lift them up and show that they're not even scratched. Like they, they're, they're solid. Um, there's one that actually, I tried to share a video, but I couldn't. But this is a sample block that my uh, 90 pound Husky got. Dog chewed on, yeah. Dog chewed on. And you can still see like he had that for quite a while and still maintained the majority of its form. <laughs> so I don't recommend feeding it to your dog, but yeah, yeah, the blocks are amazing. Now, how do they weigh? This sounds like an like a expensively heavy game to ship. Yeah, it, yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, luckily I started with Summit, which weighs six pounds. So I learned real fast wow. the expensive uh, parts of shipping but yeah the block and key is going to be heavy it is going to be um a, a pain we'll say nicely a pain to ship but the the clay blocks have a nice heft to them they also mm -hmm. have a nice friction uh the plastics are just so smooth that they slide on each other very easily and it's important because during the game you'll actually be placing these you can place these blocks on top of each other so having that then that high friction is, is important to me so mm -hmm. Uh, that all works together. And then it also just plays into the theme perfectly where you're, as I say, you're in this kind of temple exploring. So it has that really earthy feel to it. And these clay blocks have that really natural, you know, feel them being clay. You must be eating some of the shipping costs, like just looking at your shipping rates. Oh yeah. I mean, it is, it seems low. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. But because the hard thing is, is that it is, Everybody knows shipping is expensive, but the majority of backers don't want to pay a lot for shipping. Yeah, so they know it's expensive, but they don't care. <laughs> yeah. So I have to basically work a shipping subsidy into everyone's pledge, which yeah. is why they actually the funding goal was higher than I would have hoped. And that is mostly because of the cost of the clay and the cost of the shipping. Um, those are the big, big reasons. Because outside of that, I mean, it's it's a it's a nice game box. It's uh, two millimeters. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's nice, nice and sturdy. It's thick. It's good quality. Um, but outside of that, there's not a ton of stuff. I don't have 400 miniatures or something stupid in the box, right? I have the best quality of what I can get. And what I found interesting about the pledges too is sometimes you see different levels, like you know, regular, premium, deluxe, so forth. You only have a deluxe version you're selling, right? That's right. And the decision to do that was what? Basically, cost. Basically, that I, the game, <laughs> to me, the game deserves its best form. 
And because of the cost of making everything, especially the mold and especially of the components, yeah. wouldn't it make sense for me to put a $50,000 uh, Kickstarter out there so I could have two different uh, molds made and two different things made? And two different, like, why should I waste time making a basic product at this point? Yeah. So what people in the Kickstarter campaign have asked is, you know, will there be, this is called deluxe, will there be like a retail edition of the game made? And my answer for now, for now and I say this is the honest answer is no. However, if the game explodes, if the game does well, because everyone who plays it, all the, all the reviewers and previewers and friends in the industry say this game should be in every store. Like this game is going to be a big box hit. Yeah. So if that was the road I went down, then that would be a whole new thing where, yeah, sure, say Target says I want to buy it and I want to make this many copies, and I'd go into a whole new set of like, okay, we're stripping that this down to like a to make it more retail friendly to get the price low because right now with all the premium components, yeah. I just can't get the price down to, to justify a, a base version. I think sometimes it's easy for people to assume that uh, by having these kind of different layers and you know lower tier, uh, so it's more cost effective. Often that can create complexity that generate the, the increases the cost of the overall project. Like I'm running on this yeah. with with this campaign I'm working on right now off to the side squirrels um we, we we cut we cut one of the tiers originally we we're going to have a one to four yeah. player version then we'd have kind of the deluxe edition now one to six and going through the math we're like okay now our overall target's got to be higher to bring this to fruition because we've added complexity uh yeah. to the system where if we cut that lower tier and put all of our uh, efficiency into the mid tier we can actually get our target uh level down right of the initial target to, to, to fund. so it's kind of counterintuitive but that's the but there's, kind of so, way the there's is, right? so many reasons and that's some of the stuff i could easily touch on and stuff i've yeah. learned there's so many reasons to simplify the campaign and just for little stuff like even kickstarter goodies and kickstarter extras like i've done for city builders just having those packaged having them labeled having them barcoded because everything's scanned and shipped these days yeah having all these pieces lined up and making sure so many go to so many switch place and you know four different fulfillment houses around the world they gotta make sure we know how many are going to southeast asia how many are going to europe how many are going to canada how many are going to the states Right, just all this stuff, and the more layers of complexity you get in there, doesn't actually help you in any way. Yeah. So I just try to be as transparent as possible for my Kickstarter backers and be like, "Look, this is the deluxe game. These are, for example, we did uh, an adventures pack of promo cards that I'm going to give to all everyone who backs for a copy of the game during the campaign. They're yeah. exclusive to the Kickstarter campaign, but I still have to order X amount. So I will have leftovers. Those leftovers will eventually be for sale on my website." But I'm not yeah. ordering a ton of extras. I'm ordering how many the sheet count matches me for. Because sure. um, if I ran out, backers would be a lot angrier than if I had 100 extra that I could then sell right at a convention or whatnot. So people are getting them for free now if they back, or they might be able to buy them later if they're available. Another thing that's interesting people might not realize is your pick pack fees, right? So when you have your fulfillment companies like the Core Master Logistics of the World or Aetherworks in Australia, uh, Games Quest in the UK or Ship Quest in the UK, um, they all typically have a minimum pick pack count. So they'll say, you know, for this rate, mm -hmm. we will put up to three items in the box, right? And then exactly. for each item over and above those three, you're paying an additional pick pack fee, yeah. right? So you're adding additional costs. That one little tiny trinket you're adding in to kind of give that extra little zest to the game yeah. may cost you way more than you wanted to, even the, whatever the cost of the thing is that's going to the box because you have all these other fees go along with it, right? Like you're saying, scanning and, exactly. and additional pick pack fees and so forth. What are some, you've done now, this is your eighth campaign. There's gotta be some learnings that you can pass on to others that are doing their campaigns. What would you say is kind of the 
the biggest thing that is kind of been kind of your, your guide going forward as to something you got to make sure you do on all your campaigns? So, I mean, for me personally, um, I've tried because it's, it's basically just been me in a campaign. I've always sure. tried to be as honest and transparent as possible with all of my backers. So for example, we got uh, caught with shipping issues on City Builder, which should have fulfilled by now. Uh, and it's in China. And basically when this happened, I explained it all, wrote it all out in the updates. It's all visible. I don't have hidden updates on Kickstarter. Anyone can read them. Anyone can see what happened. And if anyone was affected and didn't want the game, I would offer them a full refund and write no questions asked because it's my fault. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't deliver on time. And usually my, my campaigns are very close to on time. I've even delivered some early. So transparency has always helped me. Um, mm -hmm. This is actually the first campaign. So the first seven campaigns, I would write an individual thank you note to every backer on the campaign. Um, wow. That's a, a lot of connection between backers and I. Yeah. Um, so people who would come back, I would remember, you know, I'd see their name. Thanks for coming back again. That personal connection. Um, and then really the thing that they always tell you on these Kickstarter things is when it's crowdfunding, it's never a funding problem. It's a crowd problem. So just being out there, I go to quite a few, I used to go to so many you know, conventions a year. Um, I'm just out there. I'm always trying to be as open and honest and fun and inclusive as possible. So people see who I am and what kind of my company stands for. Uh, and it's yeah. always helped. And then for Kickstarter, you really, like I say, get that minimum viable product out there. Um, and then give these uh, wonderful people a reason to back it now, to support you now, to give you their money a year, or in this case, it's going to be fast. We're going to deliver in September. But normally, right, a, a year in advance, they might be giving you these funds to try to get everything ready to go. So for me, the, the biggest, I mean, the simplest answer would be transparency, be as open, as honest as possible. And now you seem to be a um, kind of one of these serial entrepreneurs when it comes to creating games. You turned it a lot of games in a very short period of time. You got to have another game on, on deck. I'm sure there's another one that's waiting in the wings. What's coming after this one? <clears throat> Pardon me. You got me. Yeah. So that's, yeah, we were very well done. Good question. So basically uh, we have another game uh, by a Quebec designer. Uh, it's not, I don't want to say too much yet. Not his first game, um, but it's, it's good. It's really good. It's a, uh, it's an engine builder um, with actual resources off the bat. So instead of going and starting all tinkering, starting all slow, we throw you in, we give you a glut of resources and supplies. So go like giver. It's, it plays fast, probably about 45 minutes to an hour, but it hits all the right chords. Uh, and we're, it should be hitting hopefully Kickstarter um, probably late summer of this year. So as soon as this one fulfills, then bang, right into the next one. Right? Yeah. So basically when, when this one funded, so we're maybe, like I say, we funded on day one, but I think probably day two of the campaign when we had overfunded, uh, I reached out to the designer again. I said, okay, now you have 95% of my attention. Now that this one's good, this baby is ready to go. Because when I kickstart games, they're done. I don't spend time after the fact trying to you know, yeah. play test all the stuff that I've given away in the campaign. My game is done. I upgrade my game to be beautiful and solid. Uh, so the game's ready. I, it's fine. We can send it to the printers. It's going to be ready to rock and roll. So I can now say, okay, I'm focusing on this game. Let's give her. Let's, let's have fun. So if anybody wants to, uh, you know, the follow along on Block and Key, which still got nine days ago, so you can still get in on a pledge, simply go to Kickstarter, type in Block and Key. Uh, you'll find it uh, in the show notes of this uh, podcast. We'll put a link in there to make it easy for you. Just click the link. It'll take you right to the Kickstarter page as well. If people want to follow you as a publisher, because certainly you got a lot of content coming out on a very condensed schedule. How best do they follow you as a content, uh, as, a, as a creator? Everything inside of games. So inside of games on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if you're in Thunder Bay, you can follow me around town. Totally up to you. <laughs> what else is there do in Thunder Bay? Exactly. 
especially especially in february march it's march already oh yeah exactly hey connor i really appreciate you coming to the podcast uh this is an incredible launch so far i can't wait to see where you guys land on blocking key and uh, i hope you come back on the podcast when you're ready to launch your next game i'd love to anytime thanks for having me awesome you take care cheers you too bye-bye this has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by james staley produced by james staley and mike bruner with original music by nick smith If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.